Welcome to Tech at Lunch, the podcast that satisfies your hunger for all things tech while you enjoy your midday meal. So grab your sandwich, tune in, and let's dig in. Hello, Nick. Hello, I'm Ed. And you know, we don't have John with us tonight. Um, he wasn't feeling too hot. If you can't tell, I got some sinus stuff going on. So, you know, it's one of those days. Um, I think everybody's come down with the, the token crud, you know, around here. So, but... You know, we're kind of getting in towards the end of the year, uh, getting ready for, you know, the holidays and stuff like that. So, you know, first and foremost, I want to wish everybody happy holidays because we're going to hear this video, you're going to hear this podcast, and then you're not going to hear another one for a little bit because this, we're going through uh, the Christmas time over here. So we're going to, you know, spend time with family and friends and stuff like that and, you know, watch some some college football bowl games and stuff like that. And, go Bama. You know, go, go with that. So... <laughs> Sometimes I want to say go Georgia, but you know, I'm a Penn State <laughs> fan, so I can't say much. Um, so, but, you know, the thing is, this week we kind of wanted to end kind of the year with a thought. Um, STEM and workforce development. So we always hear, you know, workforce development and stuff like that across, you know, organizations and stuff like that. How, how do I develop my workforce to handle issues of the future? Um, be more prepared, be able to respond when, when the, when the need arises to new technology and new problems and new, you know, um, uh, you know, pieces of the puzzle that I guess you could say would pop in. But the thing is, is this is just me thinking here, is that majority of the time we're starting doing workforce development. The one thing that we kind of forget about is the, the STEM portion of it. You know, it, it's not like. You know, STEM is only reserved for your engineers or your maintenance personnel. You know, I think being able to educate the the actual you know workers, if you're in a manufacturing environment, um, in STEM, is a great way to help build that you know double backbone mentality. Of if something goes down, the maintenance personnel can't make it there, then somebody on the line is able to step in and you know get it you know at least troubleshoot the issue while waiting for somebody else to arrive. So what do you think of it? So I think uh, I think in in STEM we we have to look at it from a different approach. Typically, we've done STEM for maybe trying to get someone to be interested in um, engineering, or maybe someone to be interested interested in uh, aeronautical or uh, <clears throat> things like civil engineering and things like that. And I, I think we have not really looked at, like, the manufacturing environment. And, and when I say the manufacturing environment, it's not just, like, uh, if we're pro, uh, producing vehicles. I mean, everything from, like, when we do uh, processes on, like, petroleum, making yeah. uh, pharmaceuticals. You have to be able to have an uh, ecosystem in place. And I think that's one of the areas that maybe we haven't quite been creative enough. I think so, so too. So I, I, I think when you when we start talking about, I don't think it's just even just the operator mm-hmm. or the line keeper or the line tenant or sale op, whatever you call that right. person. I think all the way from management, mm-hmm. management should understand generally, just like everybody understands generally how to get in a car that's taking some kind of uh, test to be able to get a license to drive a car. Mm-hmm. They understand the basics of how to operate that car. Like a yearly tech refresher? 
Yes, but I mean, like, <clears throat> it's actually an assessment that you understand how the manufacturing process works. Yeah, that, makes, that makes sense. So, like, even the operator should know the mission statement for a company should be that everybody understand the process. And by understanding the process, we understand the goals of the company. Right. So if every person in the company, not a SME, but they understand what the goal is, mm -hmm. then, of course, you can have line keepers or sell ops that can take care of problems. And maintenance can focus on um, improvements, continuous improvement, or maintenance can figure out how can we offer ideas to engineers to come up with some redesigns. And then engineers can go to management and say, hey, here's something we can do to be more efficient. And then managers can go to senior level management and say, hey, we discovered these things from all these people by enabling these people with these tools. Mm -hmm. Now we have become a more efficient plant. And the thing is, is I, I agree with that 100%. And the thing is, I think we, you know, we don't even just stop at your line keepers or, you know, your line tenants, you know, I think going all the way down to the operator, the actual person putting the parts in the jigs, mm -hmm. if you're in a jig environment or the person putting, you know, uh, chemical to, you know, to, to additive mm -hmm. or anything like that, because that person's going to understand that process. You know, they're going to know what they're doing on a daily basis. And if you, if you, if you train them to understand STEM, the agile methodology, what is lean manufacturing? And you start rolling these people into that type of stuff. What is 5S? You know, and get them kind of interested in it. And then you get them to say, hey, guess what? Maybe we can think about doing this. Maybe we can prototype this because I think this will make it easier on me. And you start building that person up from a line, from a line keeper, a line worker, to a line keeper, possibly, if they want to go that route, to maintenance, to engineer. Or from line, from, you know, line op to engineering department mm -hmm. that understands or production engineering for that matter that understands how this things these things work it's kind of, sometimes it gets kind of hilarious when you get people who are you know production engineers and or line engineers who come in who have no clue how the process works you know they come in we're going to change this and you know now we got to do crouched over you know about touching his toes you know guys this is not going to work you know and you know but you know on occasion you get the 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 line op guy that go or you know your product your your operator goes hey guess what maybe we should try this it'll work a little better okay cool let's build the the platform up you know to assist right but you know the thing is, is I think if we start the lowest common denominator like you said and like work down and up we can build not just continuous improvement but a continuous update cycle and you can start actually. It's going to sound cliche, I guess you could say. But it's using the Agile methodology for line-side improvements. So, like I said, normally, like, even in a, say, when we have a beehive, every um, part of that beehive that functions has something that they do. Right. You know, all the way up to the queen. So, I, I think here's where it matters. If I start at my company when I do onboarding, explaining to everybody the importance of how the mechanism works. I, I, the onboarding is not to get a person to put something in a jig to produce a part. Right. My initial approach is the person understands what is supposed to happen in that process. 
how to identify when that process breaks down, and how to be able to give information to an analyst that can use the information in an agile platform right. that can use. So agile is, is a, is a high-level mm-hmm. uh, affair. Right. But we need low-level things to feed back. We need tentacles. So the tentacles are the the line keepers, the operators, the maintenance uh, technicians, the uh, engineers that's on the shop floor, whether they're production side or maintenance side, right. and the managers. All of those tentacles have to feed back to the source that's doing the agile method because they are going to have a documentation. They are trained in that. Right. Now, each person needs to understand agile. Mm-hmm. But we should have one group that is controlling Agile. And then from that, that cycle works the way it's supposed to. And the next time I build a plant or if I need to show these improvements to my other plants, now we have a system that we can say, hey, we are improving because we have documented this Mm -hmm. improvement. Right. And the thing is with that, you can also show employee growth. You can show workforce development. How many of these guys have, you know, been involved in projects that, mm-hmm. you know, have grown bigger and better? The big thing is, I think that, you know, like you said, go back to their the onboarding process is kind of push continuous curiosity. Because I, I, I think if you're continuously curious about why this process works this way, you always want to figure out what, how do I improve it? How do I make myself faster? How do I make this process faster? How do I make it more efficient? How do I make it more higher, have higher quality? You know, breeding continuous curiosity leads to continuous development. Because the thing is, is like you have to have the ideas. And those ideas are going to turn into a spit bucket where you say, okay, cool, I got this idea, this idea, this idea. And you take that, look at it, and you push those forward for continuous development. And you kind of see how that goes, and you wrap it back around. You know, eventually it comes back, you have a, you have a you know, prototype line that you set it all up on, and you see what works and what doesn't work. You know, but I think the, you know, cur- the... Continuous curiosity, and that's something that I think you may hear that more coming out of us now, you know, because it's something that STEM is. It's continuous curiosity that you always want to learn. And I think using that to hit all the wickets is another way of saying, hey, guess what? We want you to continue to keep learning your, your job, your process, your procedures, but we want your help. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and here's the thing. This is from my experience for working in automotive for, for nearly 20 years and actually working in industrial control systems for nearly 30 years. What I've noticed is <clears throat> the focus is always on the eggs. Yeah. We always focus on producing a certain amount of eggs, but nobody care about how many of those eggs get cracked. So if I produce a hundred dozen eggs and I crack 10 dozen of those eggs, that's a loss. Right. And the reason it's a loss because we're more concerned with a person putting a part into a fixture than we are with that person being a subject matter analyst. Yep. Industry 4.0 is going to be a game changer. And if people do not wake up and get out of the 90s and the and the double the aughts, you're going to be left behind because what's happening is, is if you do not understand these things, what I mean getting away from subject matter experts to subject matter analysts, what that gives you is, is I want somebody to tell me 
what is going on with the data. Yeah. Look at the data and tell me what's happening. To you, what did this anomaly say? Mm -hmm. Based on your experience with the equipment and based on your years of experience with whatever technology you are an expert in. Mm -hmm. I don't care about, hey, that POC over there uses um, FCs and FBs or uses an add-on uh, add instruction. That's, mm -hmm. that's not important. Right. If I look at it as a framework and I analyze it as a framework, an analyst can give the data to the necessary people that have the expertise to understand what that analyst is deciphering for them. Right. Now we can See move that. those things out of the process. And not only do we get rid of it on the floor today, it is eliminated tomorrow. Right. And the thing is, I think with, you know, um, Industry 4.0 coming, Industry 4.0 is, you're going to see an advent and and uh, STEM-based uh, STEM -based manufacturing because it's going to force smart manufacturing. It's going to force IoT. It's going to force your MQTT trains. It's going to force your advanced analytics, your data is a new oil you know, techniques and some of them that you're working with. It's going to force you know, edge computing. It's going to force AI to come into the process a little bit more now. Um, is it something that everybody's going to go to? Probably not. Um, some companies just can't afford it. However... And some of the bigger companies are going to adapt. Um, you know, if you really want to go read the the article, and it's in you know, I think I've posted it once before on one of our industry four um, uh, uh, podcasts we did. Um, we talked about it came from the um, uh, from Germany, um, uh, and then from the head of I guess the technology department in the German government. Um, but the thing is, it's going to have. Not just adverse effects. I really don't think anything adding technology to a process is going to create adverse effects. It's going to show you the raw truth. You know, you can say I'm running at this efficiency. Or, you know, I'm running at this FTE um, or FTC. However, when you look at it with data, you can be 20% less or 20% more. It uncovers the truth that's possibly hidden by bad numbers. But... The thing is, is with that, even that process breeds that, conti that, you know, that continuous curiosity of, okay, cool, can, can I add a sensor here? And training your workforce on the STEM platform that is Industry 4.0 is another way of saying, hey, guess what? We want you all to be involved. Because, you know, I can tell you that we ha there's, there's people out there who don't feel like they're involved in the, in the company's growth. They don't know what the future is of that company. I think bringing them in making sure the management understands the process first, bringing them in and saying, hey, guess what? This is how we want you to be involved in our future, hands-on, you know. Um, it, you know, it, it's just how it goes. And I think that you get people all excited about it because they get to work with something new. You know, these, these people may never have seen this stuff before. You may not get somebody who worked on a lot who's ever heard of MQTT or mm -hmm. sensors or IoT or any of this stuff. Right. You know, unless they're, they're used to having an Alexa. Yeah. You know, but the thing is, is... You get them involved. You get them excited. Guess what? You just bred a new engineer. You just bred somebody who's going to go home who may be a parent that talks to their kids, gets their kids excited about the process, and their kids go and, you know, learn something new and then go become an engineer or, you know, a maintenance engineer or a robot or a robot tech or, you know, something like that because they care, because they're interested. And, and from my experience that <clears throat> the... 
the way technology is today on the manufacturing floor or on the plant floor is there are typically I would say three to five levels of what I call subject matter experts. So if we go to the highest level, there is there is a decision subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. We go to the next level, there is a uh, planning phase, uh, organization phase. Uh, so basically, your your engineering department right. that's planning the next phase of growth. Right. Um, then we get into what I call uh, your your managerial or business subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. Then we get down to the two that are really the people that I, I would say are the, the linchpin to helping a company be as efficient as they can be because you have subject matter analysts. So you have <clears throat> basically a recovery and, and parameterization expert. Yeah. And then you have an expert that understands how the machinery work every day all day, all the time, because right. they're they're tending they're the machine. Right. They know when a machine makes a different sound that it hadn't made before. They understand when something stops short. Mm -hmm. They may not know the technical term for the fault that is being displayed, but they understand that something has went awry in that process. So you have a process subject matter expert, and 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 so. <clears throat> If I'm able to take Industry 4.0, use unified namespaces, and have one center of truth where nobody can mess with the data, the data is the data. Yeah, data is a new world. And, and if I can sanitize the data, formalize the data, or normalize the data, yeah. where I'm getting what I need, and with a unified namespace, I only ask for the data that I requested. I don't care about the million of other requests because it's not a polling system. Right. I, I am only interested if, hey, we had this um, line that's not producing at 80% and it's been doing that for the last month. Why? Yeah. That, those are the things you want to know because then not only can you identify what the problem is, mm -hmm. You can get a committee of people together out of all of these SMEs to resolve the problem by putting all of their unique expertise together to come up with something that can resolve the problem or at least say, hey, this is a this requires a design redo. We right. need to redesign this. And the thing is, is I don't think that's you know, it's ever gonna take away from the good old fashioned walk and talk. You know, and the hey, you know, line side visit. You know, station visit. Hey, show me what's up with what's going on here. You know, I know I've seen you have a little bit of downtime. You know, explain to me. You know, what's up. You know, and the thing is, is that sometimes where just having educated conversations, I think, with the uh, line keepers, your your um, uh, your operators, you know, kind of comes in handy because that's data. You're extracting data, and you know, I, I really. You know, and a, and a proponent of you know mm -hmm. going through and having these conversations with people, you know, having a friendly conversation, but at the same time, I'm pulling data. I'm trying to gain as much data as I can. You know, what what do you think we can do better here? You know, and write that down. You know, what what do you think we can do to improve? 
you know, this line process, what do you think we can do to, you know, keep this moving forward? Right. And then, so it's, you know, having those conversations, it's getting that data, that firsthand account information, and then finally being able to make a decision on, okay, cool, what type of software do we need? You know, if I'm talking from the IT side. But, you know, then you start getting into the, okay, cool, hey, this, this robot does this. And it's not supposed to do this. We're getting way too much, you know, heat on a weld spot, you know, if it has to move this far. You know, maybe, okay, cool, maybe we need to look at it a little bit deeper. That there may be a short or the heaters come on at, you know, at a wrong time or something like that. That's only information that we know by, you know, A, looking at data, B, investigating the, the root cause of it, and also C, talking to the people that's on the floor that, that see this happen, you know, that, that, that see it come to, come to heat when it, you know, when it comes in instead of heating up when it makes contact. Right. You know, it's that type of stuff. You know, it's not saying that, you know, the old school way, the old fashioned way of doing things is, you know, is wrong because it's still, it's still 100% plausible. It's, you know, it, the problem is, is we go from now that we're on industry 4.0, we're going more from uh, reactive to proactive maintenance mm-hmm. and proactive decision making instead of reactive. So we didn't know the data at that point. In time. Mm-hmm. And then, so what that does, that helps us take that proactiveness that we're getting to train the workforce and do STEM workforce education to get these guys understanding this is what this data means, this is what this data point is, this is where this data point's located, this is my, you know, plus and minus variables that I'm looking for, and that type of stuff. Getting those people interested in that and, you know, kind of really working through that process because I think that, you know, using Industry 4.0, using your finance base, using, you know, all the data that we can get, wrapping that all into a STEM curriculum for your, for, you know, people in your plant, you now just, one, made a more educated employee, Two, you met a, an employee who's actually having fun, and you're using then that employee's going to help your business grow because happier the employee is happier the business. Who cares about the business at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. You know, is, is the employee happy? Yep. Okay, we're good. You know, employee making money. Yep. Employee have a future. Guess what? No one gives a shit. What the business is going to business is going to stay around for a long time at that yeah. point. And I think the big thing we got to take from like industry four point one, we're saying these things like unified namespace, and we're talking about one center of truth and we're talking about not having to poll a million times you know over a certain time frame what we're saying is is you're basically going to be able to target those things so the low-hanging fruit that everybody goes around and do hey let's put up um let's make some uh a one point lesson let's uh put up visual management let's uh do um audits that's all low-hanging fruit, but that's not the real hanging fruit. Yeah. The real low-hanging fruit is, ah, we never thought about when we designed this fixture that this part could be turned opposite in an opposite orientation than we, that we uh, needed to be in. Correct. Th- those are things that you can find out by looking at the data. Yeah. You can take the data instead of saying, hey, well... This person needs to put the part in right. Yes, that's true. And all the things I just said about, you know, visual management, one-point lessons, um, walkthroughs, audits of the process, that's nice. But it would be nice if we had some way to fix that part to be in a orientation in the beginning of the process. Yeah. We should design in the way we want the process to work. So we should have 
some safeguards in place to ensure that the process is can work as best as we can. And the thing is, is that also goes back to the fact of, you know, having a prepared and trained workforce because they can tell you, hey, guess what? This isn't supposed to do this, guys. You yeah. know, help me out here. You know, if I put it in here, it kind of slips right. and moves around. It's you know, it's not being compatible. You know, can, can we build a can we build a bracket here? You know, and those guys will understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, and the thing is, it's like and the thing is, you if you train them in STEM and basic design, they can actually cardboard stencil it for you and say, hey, guess what? This is what I need. Mm-hmm. You know, can you guys go ahead and cut this for me and you know put into play and you know right. go from there. And you should be able to take your mistakes that you made from prior plans and feed that data forward through your blockchain, <laughs> you know, and say, hey, you know, this is something that caused us a problem in our blockchain. Yeah. Hey, you know what? This caused us something in our, uh, this caused us to lose um, profit. Those things should automatically go in the next review for that project. Yeah. Just like when we release some type of application or we use some service, you know, some uh, service in the web or whatever. Yep. You should, hey, this is lessons learned. We definitely need to have a process for when we roll out an update. And there definitely should be a immediate pro- process to roll back that well, said, said update. I mean, and that should be built into your, hey, we had it, this particular uh, application. Ooh, he really complicated. Yeah. We, we better <clears throat> have a mitigation strategy in place for him. Prior planning prevents piss poor performance. Or better known as piss poor planning prevents proper performance. Depending on which way that route you want to go, you know, it depends on how which way you're in. You know, it, because you know you can train for the stuff, you can train for everything that's coming ahead of you. But if you don't put the time in to to plan it out, guess what? You're still gonna have the long run. You're still gonna have freaking you know subpar performance. And you know the thing is, is that's why you know for me. You know, I'm very into, you know, delving money into the employee. You know, paying for, you know, an educational branch of an employee that, you know, and especially in, like, in the workforce, that understands the general basics and understands a little bit more of the general basics. Because now I'm planning and also doing succession planning at the same time. So I'm getting all these people trained because if somebody quits, this person moves up. Somebody quits. Next person moves up. Guess what? I got a, I got a self-licking lollipop. But I also have people who are interested, who want to keep coming to work every day, who aren't going to no-show, you know, who aren't going to take, you know, a month off and, you know, who knows where. You know, I don't care if you take a month off, but the thing is, it's like, be useful. Um, you know, I, you know that, that's another thing. I also am a big proponent of how Netflix does some things. You know, for example, Netflix does the unlimited unlimited PTO. I think that also well-rested employees and STEM-driven employees make a better product. You know, because you go back to the happiness cycle again. So it's basically incentivizing your your company. But I, I think one of the inherent problems with when we talk about people and some of the things we're talking about, when we're talking a loading station, yeah, and you're having a person continuously put a part in a machine for eight hours, okay, if that's that's what you have and you do not have automation, you should at least rotate that person out of that process so it's a different process they do. Yep. This is 
part of the reason that manufacturing, in particular automotive, automotive has not learned their lessons. The only place where automotive has learned their lessons with that, well, they still have craftsmen that build vehicles that are over 100000 a year, and it's only 20,000 people buying yeah. this car a year. Now, and, what do they call that, process burnout? So I'm saying, like, you should rotate these people through the process. And not only should you rotate through the process, you should have a system in place to understand when that person is starting to make mistakes. Yeah. You know, or that person miss, miss is, has forgotten some of the things you taught them. Yeah. You do not just teach a person. This is not fire and forget. Yeah. Don't punish them for a mistake. You know, you know, because they're burned out. You got, you know, like you said, you know, we get process burnout. Don't, don't, you know, yell at them and, you know, and give them, you know, some companies with demerits. You know, we're back in, you know, the UK military here. You know, you get a demerit. Um, you know, but the thing is, is don't be doing that crap because you get somebody who's burnt out. You know, if they're burnt out, they're burnt out. You know, like you said, rotate them someplace else. Let them get fresh, fresh eyes on something. Let them learn something new, and then eventually bring them back to train the guy who's replacing them. As they move forward, and what does that do by bringing some, by backfilling another person behind that person, if that person is not there for someday because of an illness or because they they've taken some time off, you have a person that has been trained in that process, and you do not have an issue that could cause some type of uh, quality issue right. that gets to your end of line process, because we're only humans, and the systems can only do so much. Exactly. And, you know, that's when you start getting into, you're technically creating a fourth shift. If you have three shifts, you're technically creating a fourth. Because you're doing all this train the trainer. So you may have five people on the same shift trained as the same, at, the, at the same position. Mm-hmm. So you have group leaders who can fill in. Team leads that can fill in. You're technically building by the amount of extra people you have trained in some of these stations. You have a technical fourth shift. So you should never be a man down. Mm. at any case you know maybe more technical positions will be a man down mm. because of the fact that you know they can rotate in and out depending on where they're at mm. you know like in maintenance you may mm. be a man down because you don't have anybody who's a weld engineer mm. you know on site who's not mm. trained to be a weld engineer you but, know but at, at least same, on that shift at the same time you should always have a mitigation strategy in right. place that you have a deputy in place for each of those roles even if it's a maintenance technician that is what we call a specialist that specialist should be being groomed to backfill that position in the event that that maintenance engineer moves on to say a planning role or moves on to be a manager or moves on to be in the business unit but uh, one other thing i want to touch on that 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 i've seen that is useless is all of these microsoft engineers so what I, what I mean by that, I do not mean the corporation, Microsoft. I mean all of these PowerPoint, Excel sheet generating people. Quit using these tools and use some analytical tools. Use Power BI. Figure out a different way to display information and do not kill people by PowerPoint. Do not make a million sheets that nobody ever keep up with when you got an analytical tool like Power BI. And, 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 and you have things in place that can track this data. Why are we still in 2023 manually entering data? Cheap. It, but it's not unnecessary. Right. Oh, I agree with you. 
I 100% agree. And if you're going to use an Excel, Excel sheet, automate the process. Create some script in Python so that the person is only dealing with the data and they don't have to extract the data, normalize the data, put the data in the sheet, organize the data, because this manager wants it one way, that manager wants it another way. Yeah. If you're going to use Excel spreadsheets, learn pivot tables um, where it makes sense. Well, um, well, even with that, like I said, if I got a million spreadsheets. Yeah. Well, you can tie up spreadsheet to spreadsheet. Yeah. You only have one spreadsheet of truth, I guess. Because some, some companies can't afford Power BI, you know, the Power BI plugin, stuff like that. But they can't afford Python. Yeah. They can do everything in, you know, in, in, in that. But, you know, it's just, you then when you start getting to the people who know how to do it. God. Um, I, and the thing is, is teaching people is, you know, is something that, you know, definitely can incentivize your workforce. But... You know, the thing is, is you're right, you know, and a lot of people will do project management based off of Excel sheets. Yep. And that's plausible because the thing is, is most of your Excel plugins are the same thing that you have in um, uh, um, Microsoft, uh, in the um, project, Microsoft mm-hmm. project. Visi- was it Visio? No, Microsoft project. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. But Visio so, is a flow chart. Right. Which you can do most of that in PowerPoint if you can't afford it. Mm-hmm. But I know some people to shoot me and say, "Oh no, 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 that's not right. We can't do that. Mm-mm, no, 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 no. I don't care what you say. You know, cool, Prius. You know, these are the guys who are like, hey, guess what? I, you know, I have to use this. No, you don't. You can use Excel. Yeah. Um, Gantt charts and stuff like that. I can guess what I can do a Gantt chart in Excel. Congratulations. I can do workforce planning in Excel for project timelines and stuff like okay. that. Okay. Well, I'm gonna be devil's advocate. I'm gonna be Edward's advocate. Use all the Excel sheets you want. For God's sake, create a dashboard. Yeah. For God's sakes, create a dashboard. And it can all be done in Excel for free. Yeah. You can also do access. What? I'm just saying, a dashboard yeah. updates itself. I ain't got to worry about it. You just take the data that's in the sheet, automatically update the dashboard. Everybody agrees on the format for the dashboard. The dashboard is what we're going to use. We're not going to be dragging up some Excel sheet, opening up this pivot table, doing, you know, all. to me, that's unnecessary. That yeah. is what we did in the 80s. That's, if you're still doing that, that's not even Industry 4.0. That is piss poor production. Now, even if you can't afford it, make the thing a dashboard. Learn, learn people. Yeah. Management. Learn other skills other than tasking somebody else to do something for you. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is, you know, it, when we're really talking about, you know, workforce development and stuff like that, you really start getting into how can I train my guys to do this for me? Yeah. You know, or not for me, but for themselves. Um, you know, do their own development. You know, if they're in IT, you know, but more than their own, you know, development. If they're in... You know, maintenance, how do they do their own development for the, for the projects that they have to work on? Um, line side, you might not need that as much, but the basic understanding of mechanical engineering is, is kind of helpful. But, you know, so the thing is, is you can utilize a lot of different incentives. It's like, you know, always, like I say also, you know, invest in courses. Um, you know, they may might, and the thing is, invest in ones that aren't just corporate culture. You know, I, I, you know, I don't need a bunch of people running here that can recite your, you know, your, your corporate ethos, you know, because it doesn't really help you any, or, you know, the corporate cybersecurity policy, you know, we get it, you know, flag things that are phishing, 
you know, we get that. You know, if you've ever been in the military, you understand that you got the guy who walks around in a blue suit and freaking wore a badge. You know, you're going to play that stupid game of, you know, the cybersecurity walkthrough game. However, utilize Udemy. Utilize stuff like like that that will give your employees the, the ability to learn a new, tra- new, new task, new trade, you know, based off of what they did in Udemy. So, like, hey, guess what? I learned how to do this Python programming. Okay, cool. Um, you know, may add that to the add that to the promotion points. You know, as far as for raises and stuff like that. And also, but give them the opportunity to, hey, if, you know, if you don't use it, if you can't use it for work, or if you use it for work, you can also use it for personal growth. You know, and help them grow the the, the, the knowledge tree. You know, because the thing is, it's going to come right back to you anyways. You know, they're learning. You're learning. You're helping them out. They're helping you out. And it. And I'll just touch on what Nick said from just not to go too far into, you know, like cybersecurity in particular, but that the architect has to understand how to dilute the the information or the data down or whatever you're trying to uh, execute to the analyst. It's the same thing in corporate. You have to understand how to take your business intelligence and dilute that down to something that your um, personnel that's on the shop floor can you can uh, help you realize that dream. Yeah. So so when you when you're at forty thousand feet in the plane, y'all can talk all of the forty thousand foot over the head you want to. But when you're talking to someone that's on the ground that's supporting you, you better be able to. Um, dumb down that enough or to make that utilitarian enough that that person can understand it right. to help you realize that because you're not the one doing the work. You're right. you're the architect. And, and don't stare at them they got three eyes, you know, when they try to explain to you something. Just because you don't understand what they're doing on the floor. I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen people walk up and, you know, they explain something to somebody and it's you can, you can visually see crickets, crickets, crickets. You know, you can hear, it, it, it's one of those where you know this person is zoned out so much, you can hear the eyelids click, you know, like a flash camera, right? Don't be that guy. Right. <laughs> ask questions. You know, don't stare at them like, oh, well, they'll eventually tell me what I need to know. No, ask questions, you know, and be knowledgeable about what they're talking about. It, it's, you know, don't be a flash camera, you right. know, a flashbulb. You know, that's not something we need. Flash in the pan, not required. You can, you know, happily work with these guys and still understand what they're talking about. Because guess what? They, you may be an architect, you may be a manager, you may be all this, you know, hubbub and crap. The guy on the floor knows the job better than you do. So don't think you don't know it. Because you can come down there and guess what? You are now the dumbest person on the floor. Because you have no clue what's going on. You know, oh, I can send an email. Well, congratulations. Can you build a man? Can you build a vehicle? Can you build a bicycle? No? Okay, guess what? Then you don't count. <laughs> I, I, was, I guess one, one of my... One of the things that I always keep in the back of my mind, if you can't explain it in five minutes to a five-year-old, you don't understand what you're talking about. Right. If, if, if you're uh, saying something like using some word that is only used if I'm writing some... Um, uh, scho- uh, scholarly paper, you're 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 in the wrong environment. Right. That's for a four-year university. 
If you're in a plant, you better understand how to communicate in five ways. You better know how to understand how to explain to the person that's doing the process. You better know how to explain to the person that is the auditor of the process. You better understand how to explain to the person that helps maintain the process. You better understand the architect of the process. And you better understand the person that came up with the ideal to create whatever you were creating to be able to talk to that person. Right. If you cannot talk in fives, you don't know what you're talking about. That makes sense. And, you know, I'm gonna, I 100% agree with that. You know, it's like, understand your audience. You know, understand who you're talking to. And the thing is, is make sure, like my dad tells me all the time, is leave them with a smile. Because you're going to get more with sugar than you're going to get with vinegar. I guarantee it. If you need more information later, I'm not going to scream at nobody. Because the thing is, I may be upset with somebody for what they did on the line. But, you know, the thing is, I'm like, okay, cool, that it happens. You know, we're going to be truthful and tell them, hey, shit happened. Get over it. We're okay. We'll do the same thing again tomorrow. Yeah. We'll be fine. Uh, you know, but the thing is, is that person, now they're comfortable and they're going to tell you when something's going wrong. Right. They're going to be, instead of clamming up and sitting in the corner going, well, I saw that coming two years ago. Yeah. You know, I, I want them to tell me that, hey, guess what, dude, this is getting ready to break. Or they won't listen. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that, that I've learned over time with, with uh, a lot of people. Myself, I don't work in problems. I deal in solutions. You know, you don't look at something as, hey, that person is causing a problem. Why is that happening first? What is happening? Why is it happening? What can we do to improve that process? If you're not approaching a problem that way, then you're not a problem solver. You're management. Right. If, if you're not approaching a problem as an opportunity to provide a solution, you're in the wrong road. And as a manager, you might be in the wrong role because your thing should be, why is this not happening? Who do I need to get to make it happen? And what do we need to do to make it happen? Right. You, you should be asking yourself these same questions. It's not your job to solve it, but it is your job, just as in chess, to move the right pieces in the right order. Right. And the thing is, is you do have some managers caveat that you do have some managers out there who want to be hands-on who want to get their hands dirty who want to still do work you know not sit in meetings and listen to a ceo run his trap all the time but the thing is is those you know in this industry and or in the manufacturing world and stuff like that are going to be very few far between you know we, we get you know and i you know me being you know an academic person you know we get more people who are you know like from academia that fill these manager roles than people who are from, you know, the industry. Like for me, I would not want to manage a role, you know, in a manufacturing environment if I didn't work in the environment first. You know, I've worked in manufacturing now going on eight years now. Um, and yeah, I'd be comfortable going to a management role, um, even coming from academia. But the thing is, is now, you know, I understand the process. I can read a process. I know that I know how that works. But the thing is, is you know that, you know, you have these people out there who are getting your hands dirty, kind of working through the process, talking to people. You know, they're not going to be authoritarian. 
they're going to be your your SME managers who mm-hmm. you know understand the process, who can fix the process, and aren't concerned with going to uh, meetings or writing emails right. or you know being disruptive. Because the one thing that you get most of the time, and I think the one thing that we see that hampers any type of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but any type of workforce development is when you get these managers walking here who, you know, demand, 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 but have nothing to come back with it. And the thing is, is what that does, that stops people from learning. Because they never actually ask the person, what do you think? It, it, I, like I said, I think the big thing, the, the big thing is, is we're still using a, um, we're still using the same paradigm that we had, I would say, even 60 years ago. Nothing has changed in management since after World War II. No, it's, it's, no. the same, it's the same mentality. You know, all we care about is how many dozen of eggs we can get out of the plant. We don't care about how many we have to crack, how many get cracked. Well, how many more we need to produce to make up for the ones that's cracked? Right. All I care about is how many widgets I can produce. And, and that's the problem. You should be, how can I efficiently produce as many widgets that I can produce? And how can I ensure that I send exactly what I promised the customer? Right. I, I think that, you know, we, we've moved out of the the golden age of manufacturing. Um, you know, actively we left that well behind us. You know, we're kind of in the snag, the stagnant years, I guess now that you can talk about it. But more or less, we're getting into technology development and, you know, automated manufacturing and, you know, the Teslas of the world um, and how Blue Origin builds their things and how SpaceX builds theirs and then how Relativity Space 3D prints rockets. You know, you start getting into how, you know, these stuff in the STEM community built companies, built manufacturing, built stuff that comes out about. The thing is, is that's because somebody at some company got interested in something else and decided to step out and say, hey, guess what? I think we can do this. Because they took an idea and ran with it. The thing is, is I guarantee you, you know, inside of a company, you're going to have more people who are interested in, you know, the STEM you know, uh, you know, methodology, you know, as part of their development plan, then you would, you know, not doing it. You, there might be someone you may get that, oh, crud, this dude's a freaking, you know, a, a genius. Oh, he can take this job. And, you know, who cares if he doesn't have a degree? But he's interested in it. He understands it. He knows the concepts. Move him into the role. But, like I said, that that's because of World War Two. Everybody is still using the same paradigm. Right. It. I would argue, unless that guy is an astrophysicist, a civil engineer, somebody building, you know, something that's structural, an architect, uh, you know, designing electrical circuits or something like that. When you're talking automotive manufacturing, let's be real here. The the level of engineering they need. Day to day, it's not the same level of engineering for making the plant. Right. Or that they had, you know, years ago. Because the plant, yes, I need some people. My R&D department, I need some people that are classically trained. Right. But the problem is, is when you start to run the factory, you have nobody 
Well, you have no plan to develop those subject matter analysts. Right. Your plan is, is produce, produce, and then produce out of process. Yep. You you allow production to say, hey, well, hey, we didn't we didn't do so well on this, so we're gonna do that. No, you're gonna stick to the process, and we have to stop the line to resolve this problem and fix it, so that it's fixed for good, so that I don't have to have three, four, whatever hours, whether it's one event or cumulative. Yeah. All fix the yeah. problem first, then let's do production. Yeah. In reason, in reason, we still have to make money. Right. You know, and it, like I said, we we kind of get into the end. You know, like uh, we got a little bit off, um, but those things that we're talking about, we're saying it need to be taught early in the education process. Yeah. You know, for people that are interested or have an affinity for solving problems and want to go into manufacturing. And or you know, you know, the thing is, even the people who are already working in it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you have people in there, you're gonna find out real quick if these people. They enjoy it, they love it, or they have the knack for it. You yeah. know, and the thing is, is take the ones that you know that you know absolutely love it. You know, they they live and breathe and work. You know, the, the what it is, they love the company. You know, the ethos of the company and breed and you know develop them to be your next generation engineer, mm-hmm. your next generation, um, uh, you know, uh, manager, because these guys are the ones that you turn to and say, hey, guess what, help me out here. You know, how does this process work? Well, this is where it does. Okay, cool. Now, now walk me through it. Here's something I think. I, I think we, 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 we're we too caught up on titles. Right. I can agree with that. A type of engineering is a specialist. Right. A type of um, guy that has a knack for business is a business analyst. Right. You, you're too busy. I don't care if you have an MBA. What does an MBA do for me? For making product, go out of the plant just in time, right the first time, delivering what we promised to the customer, keeping the reputation and brand of the company. I don't care about what you did as a, a PhD. That does nothing for me to produce that product. Right. It's, it's for you. Okay, if you want to be a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout, you can get all the badges you want. I want people that can do things. I don't want people that on LinkedIn they got a thousand things that they did. Whoopee. Okay, you got a nice resume, but what can you do to help me realize my dream? Yeah. And the thing is, is you know, some of that, you know, if we, we do see the, you know, the the glorious moments in some ways, you know, resume, you can actually take that and try to breed that and say, hey, guess what? You no, know, let's work through this. Maybe we can pull a skill out of there that we didn't know somebody had. Yeah, mentoring. I think mentoring is a big part of it. And I, I think that, you know, doing yearly reviews of somebody's resume, so, you know, stuff that they've done on the side, like, oh, you know, we saw you did this. Well, maybe we can use that, you know. What do you think about moving into this role? You know, and and grow them into yep. a, a role that you may not already have. Something that may be needed, that you didn't think was needed. You know, it's like, the thing is, is you may have, you know, issues of where, you may work into where you need zone cybersecurity guys. Somebody who works on every single zone in the plant that's responsible for the cybersecurity of just that zone. You know, zone one, whatever, you know, and all your conveyor technology. Throw over only that particular technology and they learn it back to front, front to back. Okay. Or, you know? or, or, the or, same thing, but we, we cultivate that guy 
We mentor that guy yeah. so that he has the tools to understand how to analyze the traffic in in the plant. Yeah. So basically, you're having a guy that understands the equipment that is given all the tools he needs, whether it's whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's process control, right. whether it's uh, business analyst, whatever it is, you're giving them those tools and letting them run with it. You're here's the tools, here's the Swiss knife. How you use it is okay. As long as you stay in the confines of what we said, here's our vision. Stay in the vision. We're not using it for something outside of company needs. Right. Whatever's in company needs, if you can figure out a way to, to uh, I would say, to make us as efficient as we can be a business, then yes, put those tools there. Yeah, for everybody. But even, even the person that's cleaning the bathroom, you put tools in place that it, how can this make our company better? Yeah. Don't don't look at it as a cost. What prop what benefit can I get from the cost that I'm spending? We'll put a weight sensor on the toilet paper. Or here's the thing. Maybe the guy said, Hey, I was in this airport overseas and they had this airport that uh basically had a co- trash compactor. And when you put whatever material in this trash compactor, pushed it down, and then it sent a message to the person on their technology, and they knew when to come pick it up. And they had to do a round all the time. You, right. It's on demand. Th- those are things I'm saying that you can do as a corporation to, to make yourself more efficient. But anyway, yeah. we're, get, we're getting off topic. Yep. You know, and I think that, you know, I 100% agree with you, and that's kind of where we're going. <laughs> Sorry, freaking sinus is just freaking flared up on me. But, you know, I think that uh, we've kind of came to the end of this week. Um, and, you know, with that, you know, we want to say thank you to everybody, you know, who's kind of listened in, who's been part of this process, who's, you know, been with us uh, from, you know, from day one to, to now, you know. And, you know, we kind of look at it as a way of not just getting our ideas out there, but hopefully to help you and help y'all learn something. Um, you know, go take a look at uh, the uh, YouTube channel. Go take a look at the blog. Go take a look at you know Printed Heritage. Some other stuff we're working on. You know, we're at twenty one. We're at two thousand one hundred twenty all time listeners. You know, not too long ago we were help, we were hoping for what two thousand. Yeah. Before that, we were hoping for a thousand. You know, guys, we are moving along and we're we're really getting on this journey. You know, we're gonna be doing a lot more. Um, you know, there may be a chance that, you know, we set up a, a, a Discord at one point in time to, so we can talk to y'all, um, you know, really have these conversations. Really kind of, you know, break out with what we kind of want to do and really get y'all invested in it. Like I said, pay attention to the, 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 the uh, YouTube channel. We have a lot more stuff coming. You're going to see a lot more data. Um, the thing is, you're going to see a lot more about us. You know, one thing that I am going to do is I'm going to do a series on... You know, you hear Vulcan Art Technology Solutions. I'm going to do a whole series on, you know, what are what are the company values? Why do we do what we do? Um, you know, wh- why are we the way we are? Um, you know, why do we care about the process and care about the people instead of caring about the profits? Um, you know, profits are nice, but people, people are profit. Right, exactly. But, you know, I want to say thank you. Uh, we appreciate you. Continue listening. Um and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll talk to you next time. Go ahead. And like I said, I'd just like to echo uh, what Nick's saying. Like, uh, 
Uh, we have some ideas for some things. Uh, we would like to, uh, I, I think we're not going to ask anymore. We're, we're going to, at some point next year, do a live stream. Yeah. And we're going to see if we can, live stream. maybe we can get uh, a lot of you guys that's listening to join in. Um, we're going to try to figure out a time that kind of works with Over everybody. With. Yeah. Or, or maybe we'll do a few at a different time. Yeah. Uh, we we're working at the logistics, but that's something that we're gonna we're gonna really focus on next year, and uh, we're we're also gonna see if we can set up a way to uh, maybe do a uh, a gallery of prints, you know, whether it's uh, prints from some of the friends we have, or um, prints from some of you guys, or prints that we did, yeah. and uh, maybe we'll do like a. a some kind of small video where we just kind of go through the top prints that we saw for that month. Tag, tag us on, 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 on X. If, you're on, if, if you put up on Twitter, tag us on X, Woken Art Tech. You'll see us on there. Um, you know, Tag us on that, and we'll definitely get back to you. So, all right, guys. Y'all have a good one, and uh, we'll see you later. All right, bye. That's all for this episode of Tech at Lunch. Thanks for tuning in and joining us for this tech-filled lunch break. We hope you enjoy the show, and don't forget to subscribe on all channels. And also, you can find us on YouTube under Volcanar Technology Solutions. And join us for our next episode, which gets published every Wednesday at 8 a.m. All right, y'all. Have a good one. See you later.